Section 24 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. An Essay Concerning Human Understanding by John Locke. Chapter 18 of Other Simple Modes of the modes of thinking, of modes of pleasure and pain. 1. Other simple modes of simple ideas of sensation. Though I have, in the foregoing chapters, shown how from simple ideas, taken in by sensation, the mind comes to extend itself even to infinity, which, however, it may of all others seem most remote from any sensible perception, yet at last hath nothing in it but what is made out of simple ideas, received into the mind by the senses, and afterwards there put together by the faculty the mind has to repeat its own ideas. Though I say these might be instances enough of simple modes of the simple ideas of sensation, and suffice to show how the mind comes by them, Yet I shall, for method's sake, though briefly, give an account of some few more, and then proceed to more complex ideas. 2. Simple Modes of Motion To slide, roll, tumble, walk, creep, run, dance, leap, skip, and abundance of others that might be named, are words which are no sooner heard, but every one who understands English has presently in his mind distinct ideas, which are all but the different modifications of motion. Modes of motion answer those of extension. Swift and slow are two different ideas of motion. The measures whereof are made of the distances of time and space put together so they are complex ideas, comprehending time and space with motion. 3. Modes of Sounds The like variety have we in sounds. Every articulate word is a different modification of sound, by which we see that, from the sense of hearing, by such modifications, the mind may be furnished with distinct ideas, to almost an infinite number. Sounds also, besides the distinct cries of birds and beasts, are modified by diversity of notes of different length put together, which make that complex idea called a tune, which a musician may have in his mind when he hears or makes no sound at all, by reflecting on the ideas of those sounds so put together silently in his own fancy. 4. Modes of Colors Those of colors are also very various. Some we take notice of as the different degrees, or they were termed shades, of the same color. But since we very seldom make assemblages of colors, either for use or delight, but figure is taken in also, and has its part in it, as in painting, weaving, needleworks, and so on. 
those which are taken notice of do most commonly belong to mixed modes as being made up of ideas of diverse kinds namely figure and color such as beauty rainbow and so on five modes of tastes all compounded tastes and smells are also modes made up of the simple ideas of those senses but they being such as generally we have no names for are less taken notice of and cannot be set down in writing and therefore must be left without enumeration to the thoughts and experience of my reader six some simple modes have no names in general it may be observed that those simple modes which are considered but as different degrees of the same simple idea though they are in themselves many of them very distinct ideas yet have ordinarily no distinct names nor are much taken notice of as distinct ideas where the difference is but very small between them whether men have neglected these modes and given no names to them as wanting measures nicely to distinguish them or because when they were so distinguished that knowledge would not be of general or necessary use i leave it to the thoughts of others it is sufficient to my purpose to show that all our simple ideas come to our minds only by sensation and reflection and that when the mood has them it can variously repeat and compound them and so make new complex ideas but though white red or sweet and so on have not been modified or made into complex ideas by several combinations so as to be named and thereby ranked into species yet some others of the simple ideas namely those of unity duration and motion and so on above instanced in as also power and thinking have been thus modified to a great variety of complex ideas with names belonging to them seven why some modes have and others have not names the reason whereof i suppose has been this that the great concernment of men being with men one amongst another the knowledge of men and their actions and the signifying of them to one another was most necessary and therefore they made ideas of actions very nicely modified and gave those complex ideas names that they might the more easily record and discourse of those things they were daily conversant in without long ambages and circumlocutions and that the things they were continually to give and receive information about might be the easier and quicker understood that this is so and that men in framing different complex ideas and giving them names have been much governed by the end of speech in general which is a very short and expedite way of conveying their thoughts one to another is evident in the names which in several arts have been found out and applied to several complex ideas of modified actions belonging to their several trades 
for dispatch sake in their direction or discourses about them which ideas are not generally framed in the minds of men not conversant about those operations and thence the words that stand for them by the greatest part of men of the same language are not understood namely cultshire drilling filtration cohobation are words standing for certain complex ideas which being seldom in the minds of any but those few whose particular employments do at every turn suggest them to their thoughts those names of them are not generally understood but by smiths and chemists who having framed the complex ideas which those words stand for and having given names to them or received them from others upon hearing of those names in communication readily conceive those ideas in their minds as by cohobation all the simple ideas of distilling and the pouring the liquor distilled from anything back upon the remaining matter and distilling it again thus we see that there are great varieties of simple ideas as of tastes and smells which have no names and of modes many more which either not having been generally enough observed or else not being of any great use to be taken notice of in the affairs and converse of men they have not had names given them and so pass not for species this we shall have occasion hereafter to consider more at large when we have come to speak of words chapter nineteen of the modes of thinking one sensation remembrance contemplation and so on modes of thinking when the mind turns its view inwards upon itself and contemplates its own actions thinking is the first that occurs in it the mind observes a great variety of modifications and from thence receives distinct ideas thus the perception or thought which actually accompanies and is annexed to any impression on the body made by an external object being distinct from all other modifications of thinking furnishes the mind with a distinct idea which we call sensation which is as it were the actual entrance of any idea into the understanding by the senses the same idea when it again occurs without the operation of the like object on the external sensory is remembrance if it be sought after by the mind and with pain and endeavour found and brought again in view it is recollection if it be held there long under attentive consideration it is contemplation when ideas float in our mind without any reflection or regard of the understanding it is that which the french call reverie our language has scarce a name for it when the ideas that offer themselves for as i have observed in another place whilst we are awake there will always be a train of ideas succeeding one another in our minds are taken notice of 
and, as it were, registered in the memory, it is attention. When the mind with great earnestness and of choice fixes its view on any idea, considers it on all sides, and will not be called off by the ordinary solicitation of other ideas, it is that we call intention or study. Sleep, without dreaming, is rest from all these, and dreaming itself is the having of ideas, whilst the outward senses are stopped, so that they receive not outward objects with their usual quickness in the mind, not suggested by any external objects or known occasion, nor under any choice or conduct of the understanding at all. And whether that which we call ecstasy be not dreaming with the eyes open, I leave to be examined. 2. Other Modes of Thinking There are some few instances of those various modes of thinking which the mind may observe in itself, and so have as distinct ideas of as it hath of white and red, a square or a circle. I do not pretend to enumerate them all, nor to treat at large of this set of ideas, which are got from reflection. That would be to make a volume. It suffices to my present purpose to have shown here by some few examples, of what sort these ideas are, and how the mind comes by them, especially since I shall not have occasion hereafter to treat more at large of reasoning, judgment, volition, and knowledge, which are some of the most considerable operations of the mind and modes of thinking. 3. THE VARIOUS DEGREES OF ATTENTION IN THINKING But perhaps it may not be an unpardonable digression, nor wholly impertinent to our present design, if we reflect here upon the different state of the mind in thinking, which those instances of attention, reverie and dreaming and so on, before mentioned, naturally enough suggest that there are ideas, some or other, always present in the mind of a waking man, everyone's experience convinces him. Though the mind employs itself about them with several degrees of attention, sometimes the mind fixes itself with so much earnestness on the contemplation of some objects that it turns their ideas on all sides, marks their relations and circumstances, and views every part so nicely and with such intention that it shuts out all other thoughts and takes no notice of the ordinary impressions made then on the senses, which in another season would produce very sensible perceptions. At other times it barely observes the train of ideas that succeed in the understanding without directing and pursuing any of them and at other times it lets them pass almost quite unregarded, as faint shadows that make no impression. Hence it is probable that thinking is the action, not the essence of the soul. This difference of intention and remission of the mind in thinking, with a great variety 
of degrees between earnest study and very near minding nothing at all. Everyone, I think, has experimented in himself. Trace it a little further, and you find the mind in sleep retired, as it were, from the senses, and out of the reach of those motions made on the organs of sense, which at other times produce very vivid and sensible ideas. I need not, for this, instance in those who sleep out whole stormy nights without hearing the thunder, or seeing the lightning, or feeling the shaking of the house, which are sensible enough to those who are waking. But in this retirement of the mind from the senses, it often retains a yet more loose and incoherent manner of thinking, which we call dreaming. And, last of all, sound sleep closes the scene quite, and puts an end to all appearances. This, I think, almost every one has experience of in himself, and his own observation, without difficulty, leads him thus far. That which I would further conclude from hence is that since the mind can sensibly put on, at several times, several degrees of thinking, and be sometimes even in a waking man so remiss as to have thoughts dim and obscure to that degree that they are very little removed from none at all. And at last, in the dark retirements of sound sleep, loses the sight perfectly of all ideas whatsoever. Since, I say, this is evidently so in matter of fact and constant experience, I ask whether it be not probable that thinking is the action and not the essence of the soul, since the operations of agents will easily admit of intention and remission, but the essences of things are not conceived capable of any such variation. But this by the by. Chapter 20 of Modes of Pleasure and Pain 1. Pleasure and Pain, Simple Ideas Amongst the simple ideas which we receive both from sensation and reflection, pain and pleasure are two very considerable ones, for as in the body there is sensation barely in itself, or accompanied with pain or pleasure, so the thought or perception of the mind is simply so or else accompanied also with pleasure or pain, delight or trouble, call it how you please. These, like other simple ideas, cannot be described, nor their names defined. The way of knowing them is, as of the simple ideas of the senses, only by experience. For to define them by the presence of good or evil is no otherwise to make them known to us than by making us reflect on what we feel in ourselves, upon the several and various operations of good and evil upon our minds, as they are differently applied to or considered by us. 2. Good and Evil, What? Things, then, are good or evil only in reference to pleasure or pain, that we call good, which is apt to cause or increase pleasure, or diminish pain in us, or else to procure or preserve us the possession of any other good or absence of any evil, 
and, on the contrary, we name that evil which is apt to produce or increase any pain or diminish any pleasure in us, or else to procure us any evil or deprive us of any good. By pleasure and pain I must be understood to mean of body or mind, as they are commonly distinguished though in truth they be only different constitutions of the mind, sometimes occasioned by disorder in the body, sometimes by thoughts of the mind. 3. Our passions moved by good and evil. Pleasure and pain, and that which causes them, good and evil, are the hinges on which our passions turn, and if we reflect on ourselves, and observe how these, under various considerations, operate in us, what modifications or tempers of mind, what internal sensations, if I may so call them, they produce in us, we may thence form to ourselves the ideas of our passions. 4. Love. Thus any one reflecting upon the thoughts he has of the delight which any present or absent thing is apt to produce in him, has the idea we call love. For when a man declares in autumn when he is eating them, or in spring when there are none, that he loves grapes, it is no more but that the taste of grapes delights him. Let an alteration of health or constitution destroy the delight of their taste, and he can then be said to love grapes no longer. 5. Hatred. On the contrary, the thought of the pain which anything present or absent is apt to produce in us is what we call hatred. Were it my business here to inquire any further than into the bare ideas of our passions, as they depend on different modifications of pleasure and pain, I should remark that our love and hatred of inanimate, insensible beings is commonly founded on that pleasure and pain which we receive from their use and application anyway to our senses, though with their destruction. But hatred or love to beings capable of happiness or misery is often the uneasiness of delight which we find in ourselves arising from their being or happiness. Thus the being and welfare of a man's children or friends producing constant delight in him, he is said constantly to love them. But it suffices to note that our ideas of love and hatred are but the dispositions of the mind, in respect of pleasure and pain in general, however caused in us. 6. Desire. The uneasiness a man finds in himself upon the absence of anything, whose present enjoyment carries the idea of delight with it, is that we call desire which is greater or less, as that uneasiness is more or less vehement, where, by the by, it may perhaps be of some use to remark that the chief, if not only spur to human industry and action, is uneasiness, for whatsoever good is proposed, 
if its absence carries no displeasure or pain with it, if a man be easy and content without it, there is no desire of it, nor endeavor after it. There is no more but a bare velleity, the term used to signify the lowest degree of desire, and that which is next to none at all. When there is so little uneasiness in the absence of anything, that it carries a man no further than some faint wishes for it, without any more effectual or vigorous use of the means to attain it. Desire also is stopped or abated by the opinion of the impossibility or unattainableness of the good proposed, as far as the uneasiness is cured or allayed by that consideration. This might carry our thoughts further were it seasonable in this place. 7. Joy Joy is a delight of the mind from the consideration of the present or assured approaching possession of a good, and we are then possessed of any good when we have it so in our power that we can use it when we please. Thus a man almost starved has joy at the arrival of relief, even before he has the pleasure of using it, and a father, in whom the very well-being of his children causes delight, is always, as long as his children are in such a state, in the possession of that good, for he needs but to reflect on it to have that pleasure. 8. Sorrow Sorrow is uneasiness in the mind upon the thought of a good lost, which might have been enjoyed longer, or the sense of a present evil. 9. Hope Hope is that pleasure in the mind which everyone finds in himself upon the thought of a probable future enjoyment of a thing, which is apt to delight him. 10. Fear Fear is an uneasiness of the mind upon the thought of future evil likely to befall us. 11. Despair Despair is the thought of the unattainableness of any good, which works differently in men's minds, sometimes producing uneasiness or pain, sometimes rest and indolency. 12. Anger Anger is uneasiness or discomposure of the mind upon the receipt of any injury with a present purpose of revenge. 13. Envy Envy is an uneasiness of the mind caused by the consideration of a good we desire obtained by one we think should not have had it before us. 14. What passions all men have. These two last, envy and anger, not being caused by pain and pleasure simply in themselves, but having in them some mixed considerations of ourselves and others, are not therefore to be found in all men, because those other parts of valuing their merits or intending revenge is wanting in them. But all the rest, terminating purely in pain and pleasure, are, I think, to be found in all men, for we love, desire, rejoice, and hope, 
only in respect of pleasure. We hate, fear, and grieve only in respect of pain, ultimately. In fine, all these passions are moved by things only as they appear to be the causes of pleasure and pain, or to have pleasure or pain some way or other annexed to them. Thus we extend our hatred usually to the subject, at least if a sensible or voluntary agent, which has produced pain in us, because the fear it leaves is a constant pain. But we do not so constantly love what has done us good, because pleasure operates not so strongly on us as pain, and because we are not so ready to have hope it will do so again. But this by the by. 15. Pleasure and Pain, What? By pleasure and pain, delight and uneasiness, I must all along be understood, as I have above intimated, to mean not only bodily pain and pleasure, but whatsoever delight or uneasiness is felt by us, whether arising from any grateful or unacceptable sensation or reflection. 16. Removal or lessening of either. It is further to be considered that, in reference to the passions, the removal or lessening of a pain is considered and operates as a pleasure, and the loss or diminishing of a pleasure as a pain. 17. Shame. The passions, too, have most of them, in most persons, operations on the body, and cause various changes in it which, not being always sensible, do not make a necessary part of the idea of each passion. For shame, which is an uneasiness of the mind upon the thought of having done something which is indecent, or will lessen the valued esteem which others have for us, has not always blushing accompanying it. 18. These instances to show how our ideas of the passions are got from sensation and reflection. I would not be mistaken here if I meant this as a discourse of the passions. There are many more than those I have named, and those I have taken notice of would each of them require a much larger and more accurate discourse. I have only mentioned these here as so many instances of modes of pleasure and pain resulting in our minds from various considerations of good and evil. I might perhaps have instanced in other modes of pleasure and pain more simple than these, as the pain of hunger and thirst and the pleasure of eating and drinking to remove them, the pain of teeth set on edge, the pleasure of music, pain from captious, uninstructive wrangling, and the pleasure of rational conversation with a friend, or of well-directed study in the search and discovery of truth. But the passions, being of much more concernment to us, I rather made choice to instance in them, and show how the ideas we have of them are derived from sensation or reflection. End of section 24
Reading by Malone.